they came from, panel? They came from the convention floor! Ooh. And by convention floor, we mean our separate residences. Because <laughs> there's no floor at this convention, because it's virtual. Uh, but yeah, no, we're really excited to be here at Virtual HorrorCon again. I think last time we were here, Beyond the Grave hadn't even come out yet. So now we have twice as many games to talk about. Oh, my God. So... I'm Dixie Cochran, my pronouns are she, her. I'm the editor-in-chief at Onyx Path Publishing, and I have contributed to a couple of They Came From books. Uh, Eddie? Uh, my name is Eddie Webb, my pronouns are he, him. I'm the executive producer at Onyx Path Publishing, and I'm also responsible for many of the StoryPath games. Not really, kind of, sort of, the They Came From games as well, but kind of not. Uh, and also Pugmire, which is another game I guess we make. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we talked about that one already. I don't yeah, whatever. About it this panel. Uh, and, and Matthew. Yes. And I'm Matthew Dawkins. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, I am the creative strategist at Onyx Path Publishing and uh, the line developer, conceptualist, artiste, initiator, Guy Fawkes behind the They Came From line. I do not remember his business card text at all previously. Well, you've not seen my business card in many years. That's true. That's true. Uh, it's, it's, it's this big now. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I always liked, yeah, in, in the Naked Gun movies where he would open his wallet and usually it would be to show a badge, of course, but then all everything the, flaps out with the credit that. card or the membership cards. That's my business card now. I fold it up. <laughs> concertina it, pass it to someone, it expands like a sponge in the bath, like Lionel Hutz. I imagine your business titles actually choose your adventure so people could pick and make their way through your title Ooh, as, a, just a, as a quest. That, <laughs> that's a really good idea. I, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of people who are creative with their business cards, and yet I also realize that no one is going to real. No one who's going to hire you is going to spend the time working through a really creative business card because they either want to hire you or they don't. Right. I think it's probably a very small fraction who think, "Wow, that three hundred page choose your own adventure <laughs> arc that finally led me to your email address will make me hire." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. No. Um, yeah. you, you, you could have a creative card without that. I've got I've got creative editing cards that I like, but past that, like, no, you don't need to do that. Um, that said, we're here to talk about the, they came from a series of games. Matthew, do you want to give a little bit of the history? Like, what? Where did this come from? No. Aside from beneath the sea. <laughs> uh, the convention floor. Well, whether or not off. you would like to, uh, <laughs> please do that. Yes. Uh, it, it is a story I have never told before, and so brace yourselves uh, because I will make this this uh, origin story up. We're in a new 52 realm now. Uh, wow. So nice. they came from... They came from came to me in a dream. Uh, no, they came from... was uh, It originated as something of a mishmash of sources. I guess a lot of things do. It's rare that a concept comes to wholly formed, mm -hmm. uh, especially for a full, fully functioning game. And they came from... I sometimes vacillate on this, but I think my first real interest in making a game... Uh, of my own started with uh, when I ran a game called All Flesh Must Be Dark Place. It was All Flesh Must Be Eaten using the characters from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I allowed the players to have bonuses if they used lines from their characters in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place that were noted on their character sheet as quips or quotes at the time. Uh, now, around that time, I was also playing an awful lot of XCOM Terror from the Deep, which uh, was uh, the sequel to UFO Enemy Unknown uh, on the PlayStation and PC in the mid-90s, and uh, crucially, a hor horribly hard game. Mm -hmm. But it really made me want to... And I was playing the Aliens board game. Now, all of these things uh, were coming together in my mind and making me think I would really love to run this quite dry uh, PMC, private military company-led mm -hmm. game where it's almost post-apocalyptic, aliens have invaded from the ocean, uh, the, the world has fallen into corporations warring for dominance. So it's very original concepts, I'm sure you can agree. And <laughs> uh, you were members of one of these or multiple of these PMCs. 
And I, even for some reason best known to myself, decided I would adapt the rule set from Leading Edge Games' Alien RPG uh, to emulate it. And I can honestly say that was a poor choice because (laughs) I ran that game at a convention uh, twice uh, and it was the driest, dreariest, least fun game you could play. The only thing it really had an attachment uh, was characters could have quotes as I had developed for the All Flesh Must Be Dark place. Now, I went back to the drawing board, and as I've always been a big cinephile, big fan of uh, classic movies, often not good ones, uh, I th- I'm a big fan of 1950s sci-fi in particular. Uh, I wanted to retain this invasion from the deep angle, but thought it would be better to position it as a B-movie game, a game where things are deliberately looking cheap. I continued to use this quip mechanic. I started coming up with these things called cinematics, where you could use as a meta currency to alter the fundaments of the game, such as having a cheap set that you could run through the wall of if you were being cornered by a monster or insert a deleted scene to justify why you've now got a rocket launcher, that sort of thing. And all of that kind of came together. There was direction as well, strong direction from Richard Thomas, our creative director at Onyx Path, who mentioned some of the things we should really emphasize. Mm -hmm. Uh, It certainly leaned strongly into the comedy camp as a result of Rich's direction and it really seemed to work very well and they came from beneath the sea formed from that in terms of system onyx path had recently started making games using the story path system i don't know if all of them or many of them were out at that stage when i started on beneath the sea because i still have the working document for story path and trinity Mm -hmm. as i remember it and rich basically said to me do you want to create your own system? Because I had, by this point, uh, that wasn't the leading edge games uh, alien system. Or do you want to use StoryPath? I'd like you to have a look at it. So I looked at StoryPath because I hadn't worked on Scion or Trinity or Dystopia Rising. So I wasn't that familiar with it. And I had a look through it and thought, wow, okay, this actually does everything I want they came from to do. We don't need to create a system from scratch for this game and we can add on our things like quips and cinematics and tropes Mm -hmm. as modules almost bolt-ons that you can choose to use or not Uh, and so with story path as a core all of the they came from apparatus floating around it they came from beneath the sea was born born from the depths of the ocean to wreak havoc (laughs) and humor on role-playing game tables everywhere then it spawned several siblings Yes, kind of your squidgy, waterlogged siblings. It, <laughs> yeah, I guess that they all that they certainly all have a moat of aquaticism, mm. as uh, I find myself adding maritime horror <laughs> and conspiracies in pretty much everything. We need uh, a ghost but, ship and beyond the grave, don't we? Yeah, yeah, beyond the grave has got a ghost ship. Uh, it yeah, it even has some ghostly pirates. Uh, and I think that may be in oh now that's testing me which uh, which book that is but anyway uh, yeah so they came from beyond the grave came next and this was 1960s and 70s Hammer Horror Amicus Roger Corman-esque mm-hmm. movies uh, a cigarette smoke stained era of horror uh, where budgets tended to be quite low they weren't critically appraised they weren't as farcically crap as the sci-fi of the 1950s but they were certainly hammy Mm. uh, and uh, very much garish the blood was in technicolor and it you know it was all wow pop off the screen and beyond the grave was in many ways a more popular experiment than beneath the sea Uh, when we released it i think it did better on kickstarter which was interesting Uh, and it's a game that i think the humorous tone is a lot more subtle than that of beneath the sea but it's uh yeah it has done very well people seem to enjoy and acknowledge the fact that they don't run horror games without humor anyway so uh, even if it's very dark humor so amplifying the humor a little and diminishing the horror a little actually makes for a very uh, interesting game mm-hmm. and uh, i it is 
arguably my favorite of the calls. I know you shouldn't have a favorite child. Uh, and I actually have a child and I'm still putting Beyond the Grave above him. Uh, <laughs> oh, poor Edwin. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's the way these things go. And yeah, uh, so Beyond the Grave did well. And then, of course, went on to spawn Classified, uh, another core book, uh, which was uh, our espionage movies. Again, 60s, 70s era, mostly Bond. Well, not born so much. Uh, Jason King, The Avengers, Man from Uncle, that sort of thing, which is very tightly positioned with Beyond the Grave for my favorite. Um, it's the one I find easiest to run. Uh, it's a game that very much has its tongue in cheek. There's lots of innuendos about the place. Lots of. Uh, it's not exclusively a British game in in feel, but if, whenever I run it. it it tends to be. Uh, so there's lots of, now listen here, agents, drink that tea and uh, and receive your briefing. Would you care for a macaron? That sort of thing. And it really seems to convey that tone, uh, the sort of fading hippie era through mm-hmm. to the sort of grey suits of John le Carre, mm-hmm. uh, along with the humour of Austin Powers and, uh, and Jason King and a lot of the tongue-in-cheek uh, Emma Peel and John Steed stuff. Um, and then we got They Came From the Cyclops' Cave, which was a co-developed book. Myself and Michele Masala. Michele uh, pitched the product. I love the idea of it. And we went ahead and did that as our fourth game line. It was fantasy movies. And rather than being era-locked, uh, it was very much a an expanse of all the way from about like the 1920s silent cinema to mm-hmm. the mid '90s of Hercules and Xena, before fantasy movies started getting critically appraised <laughs> as good. Anything pre Lord of the Rings? Yes, yeah, so that, that was basically yeah, everything pre Harry Potter ugh, and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so before people started taking fantasy seriously, obviously there were some fantasy movies that were acclaimed, but yeah. they were often it was often seen as a bit of a stepchild to proper cinema, even when. And movies like Willow and Conan and Labyrinth were actually heralded as, oh, these are actually rather good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lot in common with those films. It's got Krull, it's got Hawk the Slayer, it's got a lot of Hercules and Xena in it, and all the way back to Sinbad and uh, the and Hercules' as many journeys, uh, including mm-hmm. one we watched on uh, for a New Year special on the Onyx yes. Pathcast. Yeah, all there were vampires. Harryhausen style stop motion fantasy. Yeah, movies. yeah. Uh, so those are the big four. Those are how they came from games. Uh, they, you know, it's, I think it's very, what's most gratifying about that they came from line for me as the creator, as the developer of these games, primary developer, I suppose, is. I don't expect everyone to play every single game because I think you often have to have a certain vested interest in the genre from which the game is pulling. It's the same for role-playing games in general. But I think what I really enjoy is listening to big fans of horror enjoy Beyond the Grave, big fans of Mm -hmm. sci-fi enjoy Beneath the Sea because they're applying their own knowledge, their own nostalgia to these games. And they are not the kind of games that are going to make you feel told off for ripping off an entire, or paying homage to, an entire (laughs) plot from the last hundred years of cinema. This is, these are all games where you can quite happily play through the Tales from the Crypt movie or uh, an episode of The Avengers or Mm. whatever the case may be. Uh, And I think that that's wonderful that they all have their own audience and people seem very delighted to have those games. Yeah, I also really like like the fact that all the uh, character archetypes are mix and match. So if you really want to pull a character archetype from the spy movie, let's say, into the 1950s, you can very easily do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can pull... Kind of kind of a normal person if you want into the fantasy which mm-hmm. emulates a lot like often in fantasy movies especially some bad ones there is your everyman character you're like yeah yeah like this this guy doesn't know how the world works so we have to explain it to him because that's how we explain it to the audience yeah right or, or something like you know like the um uh Cyclops cave has, has the puppets archetype which is kind of the that's someone you could obviously put into like 
minimal prosthetics. And you can pull that into something like a beneath the sea thing of like, you know, to play, I don't know, a 10 robot dog if you wanted to. Yeah. A, a, a robot dog? Yeah. Has anybody ever thought about that before? I, it, it's, it's a whole new concept I just came up with. <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, no, I, I really want to play Orko at some point using the puppet because I'm a big Masters of the Universe fan. Well, yeah, the I mean, the Masters of the Universe cartoon it is it hasn't held up that well uh, not so much as the i guess later iterations especially shira but the master of the universe movie yes. is an it's an isekai movie it's a movie where courtney cox and family get pulled through to eternia and vice versa you know he man ends up yep. in earth and that is cyclops's cave mixed with classified in a lot of ways i think there's fbi agents running around mm. Um, I ran a long classified game which had a mystic from Beyond the Grave in it, uh, sort of Jane Seymour's character from Live and Let Die. Uh, and uh, I think there was a, a G Man from Beneath the Sea as well. Mm. So, you know, these, it's not something we've advertised. Uh, sometimes I kick myself, not literally, that would be silly, uh, but <laughs> I, I kick myself uh, from a design perspective from not advertising that in, in a large way. I think it's something we've come to realize as developers right. yeah, as much yeah. as the audience has, that everything in They Came From is crossover compatible. All of the archetypes, all of the tropes, all of the cinematics, all of the quips, all of them can be used across game lines and the game completely supports that. And yeah, we never, we haven't, as far as I know, ever made a big song and dance about the fact that you can, but maybe, maybe we will, <laughs> maybe we will at some point. We keep mentioning it in interviews and podcasts. Yeah, right. so, so hopefully they've got the message by now. Maybe we could do like an actual play where it's specifically kind of like, you know, they came from the multiverse kind of thing. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, everywhere, all at nothing. (laughs) Also, I just love that you can like, because, you know, genre movies are a thing. Mm-hmm. You can be like, okay, I'm making a dark fantasy movie. Yeah. And then you can put those two things together. Mm. Um, so you can have, you know, villains from beyond the grave in your fantasy movie along with fantasy villains and whatever. And that's, I mean, you could do your your evil deads that that that, that way, right? Or your yeah. army of darkness, really. But like, it'd be really, really easy to do. And I think that's super cool. One of the things I've been wanting to do when we get back into in-person conventions is I want to run a... Um, Men in Black movie franchise game mixing the Game of the Sea with um, Classified because they, yeah. they, they work beautifully to emulate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it it's something I would love to hear about more people doing. I think I'm sure more people will as time goes on, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's one of the game's greatest strengths. And yeah, antagonists, antagonists, perfectly crossover compatible. I use the um, Bride of Dracula. Uh, mm-hmm in classified not as a vampire but i used her special rules for like a hypnotist a mesmerist uh, antagonist Mm -hmm. uh, because that all pretty much functioned all she had to do was not drink blood Uh, (laughs) and all of a sudden she was a nocturnal hypnotist and yeah it it worked perfectly well in a game of spies and private eyes which isn't that game and really i think we could all benefit from the rule of just don't drink blood (laughs) <laughs> yeah well I mean, vampires I, might struggle i was gonna say yeah that might that might wipe out vampires entirely also mosquitoes is that really a bad thing though <laughs> well the vampires might think so <laughs> well, they know. but yeah so how does the tone matthew shift between the games and i do want to say before we really get into that answer is like these are like the way I've been pitching these since the first one is, you know, it's 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 MST3K, the role playing game. Yeah, because you do need to come into it with a meta attitude, which is often discouraged in role playing games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because usually you're like, you're like, well, I know that my character doesn't. But in these games, your character still doesn't know those things, but you have to use your knowledge of the world to affect the world. So, you know, they're actors in a movie. They think they're in a serious problem issue, you know, thing going on. And so that's that's part of what I love about this game is that with things like uh, rewrites and 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 clips and stuff, you can manipulate it in a way that you can't in a lot of role playing games, like which we also do have in the Trinity Continuum with dramatic mm. editing. Um, but that's a different conceit because of that yeah. one, you're kind of pulling from the multiverse like right next to you to be mm-hmm. you know a little cooler. And in this one, you're like, no, it is it is actually a a, a rubber suit or. 
I, you know, we have, we have killed the extra, et cetera. Mm. But, but yeah, so what are the tones over the four kind of core games and how did they shift when you were developing all four of them? Because that is something that I think you're very good at. Like if you read the different fiction and the introductions and kind of the setting for each of them, they're all have really different feels for the eras, which I think is cool. Uh, yeah, well, that that's by design. It's one of the biggest challenges in developing these games is actually making a consistent tone in each core book. Uh, and Beneath the Sea is fast. It's camp, it's silly, it's red. There's a certain healthy dose or unhealthy dose of red scare in there as well the because 50s. of the era. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and it's one of those things where in retrospect, there's some of that I wish we had toned down more. But I think 19, the 1950s Beneath the Sea era is very... It's it's your characters can see absolutely nonsense things going on and are supposed to play it utterly straight, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's probably the one that is most clearly MST3K-based, B-movie-based, uh, where the monsters are supposed to look cheap and rubbery and the costumes are falling apart. Um, so tone in that is certainly farce. Uh, Beyond the Grave is camp, but hammy. Uh, in the this is the game where villains are going to be monologuing. This is the game where characters are going to be fainting. Mm -hmm. uh, this, it, there's a lot of melodrama uh, played up for humour in Beyond the Grave. Uh, I would say Beyond the Grave is the one that's least explicitly funny. Uh, it still has mm -hmm. comedy in it, but it, there's also a dark humour to it as well. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest as well that Beyond the Grave is the one that puts most of the power in the director's hands for how what scale do you want this humor to be on because as eddie and i and danielle discussed in a uh, lunch and crunch not that long ago horror and comedy have very similar inroads and mm -hmm. they also have very similar barriers uh, in the way that you have x cards lines veils and so on with horror mm -hmm. uh people often have a preferred tone of comedy and they will often have a sort of comedy they don't like to deal with. And Beyond the Grave is the one that walks the finest line and I think dictates that the director speaks with the players beforehand. Do you want this to be gross out Evil Dead 2? Because Evil right. Dead mm -hmm. 2 is a funny is a funny movie, uh, but it's also a horrific movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I still think it's camp. I still think it's hammy, but it also requires a certain managing uh, classified tone is innuendo. It is bureaucratic humor, which doesn't necessarily sell itself off the page. But if you are fans of, of movies where people don't necessarily know what job they're performing and what the sort of end goal is, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of that in, in uh, classified which in a sense lends itself to dystopian movies like Brazil and dystopian games like Paranoia. Mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's a fair amount of that in Classified as well, but a lot of it is it does go back to innuendo and um, a certain counterculture attitude as right. well, uh, because the people in grey suits, the stuffed shirts, are generally the bad guys in a classified game. Your character is going to be a little more freewheeling and exciting and be driving around in open top cars, uh, wearing jumpsuits and the like. And then you've got uh, Cyclops's Cave, which I would suggest is... Well, that's an interesting one. I think it's the most... It's probably the lightest of all of them. I would yeah, say. yeah. Uh, it's it's the lightest humor because it has a certain amount of slapstick. Uh, it, because there's a again the mechanical aspect of uh, monsters looking slow and stolid, you know, as they're as they're stop motioned. Uh, actors who don't necessarily know what they're doing, they're just there to look the part they're, they are there for the muscles, not for the expressions Right, mm. they're there uh, for the free trip to Italy Yeah, like, almost, like, almost like certainly Like Christopher Plummer was Yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, And yeah, I think there's also, and I know I keep using the word camp, but I think camp is what runs through all of they came from more than anything else Yeah the because Cyclops's cave spans such a massive era, uh, almost a century in length, 
the humor I most closely look to is Hercules and Xena, the legendary journeys. Xena uh, more than Hercules because the combat often the co the comedy often comes through the combat. Uh, it comes through clonking things on the head and making a bang sound. Uh, it's it's almost 1960s Batman esque uh, mm -hmm. in in a lot of ways. Xena. Uh, there's still some tongue in cheek humor. There's a lot of uh, poking at, uh, fun at the man. The man in the, this case will often be the gods or monsters or wizards that are right. above you. Uh, so I know that's a very long and meandering answer. I've never been able to deliver a short one on any subject. No, and, you and, haven't. And uh, actually, you did, you did skip over one um, because uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but uh, They Came From Beyond the Grave also has a supplement, um, which is Can't Murder Lake, which is slasher yeah. films. Yep. And um, one of the things that I thought you did really well with that was that you not only you took that um, horror, that, that, that very finely walked line you talked about and mm -hmm. added the self-awareness that was starting to creep into 80s horror cinema at the time where like the characters were characters that may have grown up with horror cinema like us so they yeah. were somewhat aware of the tropes so that meta line got a little bit blurred in Camp Murder Lake yeah yeah there's uh, some really good horror films in the 80s which Camp Murder Lake is uh, based on mm -hmm. where there there is a meta commentary I think Return of the Living Dead has characters referring to night well watching Night of the Living Dead at one point mm -hmm. I, in lots of horror movies people are watching Night of the yeah. Living Dead because it's royalty Pop free yeah <laughs> uh, and I think one of the latter Friday the 13th as well uh, the the humor in Camp Murder Lake, well, the, the word camp is in the title this time, um, <laughs> but there, there is a certain bawdiness. There is a more yeah. grotesque humor in Camp Murder Lake as well. Uh, I would say a lot of people say they came from uh, is perfect for one shots. I defy that every time I run it because I often run multiple parts and end up falling into a campaign. But mm. Camp Murder Lake is the best one, in my view, for a one shot. Because, sure, because everyone's going to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want to emulate a camp based horror movie, uh, it makes a certain amount of sense that people are going to die in sequence from around the halfway mark pick off NPCs before then and then yeah. say your gloves are off you know player characters can die now but the good news is they can come back as zombies or slashers or specters you know so they don't have to walk off to the bar or they can walk off to the bar which is your favorite thing to do at a convention yeah yeah if I was playing it I'd say no my character's dead and just <laughs> off I'd go because I'm a bad loser uh, but yeah, and of course we've got Danger Zone as well. Uh, uh, they came from the Danger Zone is probably one yep. the fewest people will know about at this time because it's still being written, well, it's still being developed, it's in development now. Uh, and this is an expansion, in theory, to both Classified and Cyclops's Cave. It takes a bit from both, more Classified than Cyclops, uh, in its action movies, and so it has everything from... Uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies, which is, I guess, its strongest origin point. Right. And also the origin of quips, really, in cinema. <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it also takes quite a lot from the exploitation action movies, because, damn it, I have to fit exploitation movies in every single one of these games, uh, where they're made very much on the cheap for bargain buckets in in gas stores and the like and uh the movie i place as the strongest reference point for danger zone isn't top gun despite the name it's a movie called stone cold uh which is piss poor it, <laughs> it came out in 1991 so past yep. the um actual high point of of these uh i guess ultra testosterone fueled action movies mm -hmm. and yet it looks like something from 10 years prior it is a wonderful combination of everything great about action movies and everything terrible about action movies all crammed together there's helicopter crashes there's strip clubs there's biker joints there's barroom brawls there's mini guns there's lance henriksen because frankly he would just take the work yeah um <laughs> Sometimes yes uh yeah don't begrudge him that at all he, he's delivered some fine b-movie roles um yeah, it's and a bike. Yeah, uh, the main villains are a biker gang who do appear in a form in uh, they came from the danger zone. 
Nice. Uh, so yes, uh, lots lots going on. Lots of they came from. So we're an industrious line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I am. I am a fan of the concept of danger zone, which has gone through a, a couple of iterations, but now it's 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 solidified. Um, yeah. And yeah, it is definitely that kind of cheesy '80s action movie. But you're absolutely right about a lot of quips originating with with Arnold. Like how many people, you know, quote the one line from Conan or come with me if you want to live or I'll be back mm. or whatever. Like mm -hmm. I knew all of those quotes before I saw any of those movies. Yeah. They were yeah. In the culture. Um, like, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be back was everywhere. After yeah. later, like everywhere. So the um, point that he still says it in the latter Terminator movies where he appears for 10 minutes, yep. which at this point, I mean, those movies aren't particularly good, but it makes them worse that he's saying it because everyone else is playing it completely straight. This is a horrible horror action dystopian right. movie. And then you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger coming in to say his line and <laughs> he then said the walk. thing. He said <laughs> yeah, the thing. Exactly. I, I'm clapping. I'm clapping. He said the thing. He said the thing. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, and, if ever... and yet not. If anybody wants more information on the movie Stone Cold without having to watch the movie Stone Cold, uh, there's a really good episode of the podcast, How Did This Get Played? Or, sorry, How, how, how Did This Get Made is the game one. Played is the game one. But yeah, there's a really good episode of that about Stone Cold, which I have listened to, and it's very funny. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so let's let's get into specifics a little bit. Um, and let's, let's actually talk about our MST3K collab for a second. because that's Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you know what? I've been talking at a breakneck pace. So, Eddie, why don't you talk about the MST3K collab while I have a drink? Yeah, so Matthew, like, takes a breath. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, Mystery Science Theater did another Kickstarter last year, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um, to put together another season of their show. But this time also, uh, they wanted to do their own uh, streaming platform uh, called the Kismoplex. And uh, one of the reward tiers on that was you, you could basically pay to advertise on the show, basically pay to become an advertiser, um, which is how advertising works, but doing it through the Kickstarter thing, which I thought was pretty clever. Yeah, we're like sponsoring them, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it was the we pay them a certain amount of money and then they make commercials and they run the commercials during the shows. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, great. Um, Rich is, of course, a huge Mystery Science Theater fan, as, as kind of Matthew alluded to, because I am really, yeah. that, that, that Rich kind of helped dial in that that particular vibe during yeah. uh, Be the Sea. Um, so we talked about it, and he said, yeah, this is great. Uh, and um, now we have four commercials that they have made for us for Mystery Science Theater, three of which I think are online right now. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Um, the fourth one's coming soon. Uh, they all but, have Tom Servo and Crow playing the game. Yeah, yeah, and, and they costumes. have they have them playing the game and, and doing stuff. And we, you know, we had some discussions during the script phase, so we can kind of make sure that it was accurate to the game and and whatnot. <laughs> um, you know, because we, we the, the canon of the they came from line is very important to, to Matthew. And he has to oh, yeah. it with an iron fist. <laughs> yeah, so you'll see how important the canon is if you have looked at the setting chapters and each subsequent they came from after Beneath the Sea. Uh, where we where we wrote a quite lengthy setting and era description for Beneath the Sea and then completely dropped that idea for yeah. all subsequent they came from. Um, yes, I'm canonicity is a very important thing for me. Yeah, isn't isn't Beneath the Sea canonically set in Delaware? Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, there is a Delaware uh, setting that you know. I say that I I mock my own work, our own work. Uh, but Zombie Stalin yes. does show up again in Classified. He is referenced in Classified. <laughs> and I, I think one of the briefings is, well, we don't want a repeat of that brainy drill incident in Moscow. And there's the glowing people, antagonists, who are one of the very first ones written uh, for the outline mm -hmm. uh, in Beneath the Sea, have appeared in each subsequent they came from under a different name and slightly different forms. And you can still tell it's them 
because they have the exact same special rules, I think, with a couple of tweaks. Uh, they've still got a hallucinogenic gas and a net, and that's basically their means of attacking people, regardless of the game in which you're playing. Uh, but, um, uh, and, and I'm digressing a bit, but I mean, to me, I always viewed that more like how films are made, right? It's like when you don't have the licenses for films, a lot of filmmakers are still putting sideways nods to films that inspired them or yeah. films they're making fun of. Um, that's a very common thing. Uh, so it's, so I very much read along the lines of like, you know, this is, you know, uh, uh, you, you have things like um, uh, uh, Doctor Who and Blake Seven used to do this on mm-hmm. films a little bit, but I mean, you know, they would have little Easter eggs or props that they would move between the sets and mm. everyone involved in making them knew what the references were and really hardcore fans could find them and go, oh, you can connect these dots, but right. they were never meant to seriously in the same canon, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, uh, the, honestly, the I, I can't go into too much detail about uh, the Mystery Science Theater stuff in terms of business side, but I mean, just creatively, they were very excited about it, it seems. And mm-hmm. um, the scripts were, most of our notes were just, you know, like specific details. Then, you know, the actual yeah. jokes were, were, were great. And, and of course, we, you know, absolutely what we expect. And the commercials have been just a hoot to watch, frankly. Yeah. yeah, also, like, I, as, as a longtime MSC3K fan, like, I, I grew up on it and I enjoyed all the new stuff mm-hmm. when it was coming out. Yep. Like, it's just cool seeing them, like, holding a book that has my name in it. Absolutely. You know? yeah, it's, like, it's like, look at that. I, I, <laughs> I edited that book and now, yeah. now Joan is holding it on TV. No, trust me. Uh, my wife um, was a member of the original uh, fan club back when you had to, you know, mail in to get the, mm-hmm. the card and all that. And she had the card for the longest time. So, I mean, yeah, it was definitely a huge hit. One of the few yeah. times I think my wife was interested in my work, so that was good. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Throw it right under that bus. No, <laughs> no Michelle, Michelle's very supportive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I know that part, part of the reason that it's the three of us in this panel is because all of us have worked on the games. Yeah. Um, mm. Eddie, what, what, what have you done across the uh, They Came From lines? What have you done? So what, what have, you, what what have, have you, you done? Really, that is the correct way to pronounce that question. Um, so Matthew is shuffled me on all the books which i find actually interesting so i kind of touched every part of the game at this point although through different books um so i did the rules chapter for beneath the sea uh because matthew was figured i was the person who most knew story of path at that moment mm-hmm. um but also wasn't actually actively designing the system so that way i wasn't going to be falling into old traps i could look at the stuff the relatively fresh eye but still i could make meaningful conversations we had some conversations like hey your outline said this, but I think we want to nudge the rules to that. Yeah. Like I think I pitched the re- the renaming of Minton to rewrites, for example. Yeah, and uh, I remember I was pretty forceful on the subject of health yeah, and injuries, or mm-hmm. you know, on how that translates in that they came from lines, so that you actually get more effective the closer to death you get. Yeah, and that was a good uh, call, honestly. <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's how movies work, too. Like, right, yeah. exactly. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, so um, uh, uh, that was really, really fun. Uh, and then for uh, Beyond the Grave, I did... Uh, no, I, I, I did the... Um, I did the quips. I remember that because I watched a lot of movie trailers. There's actually... It was a YouTube channel that just had 70s horror film trailers. Yeah. And I watched that for like four hours. And that was a hit with notes. the writing team on that book. <laughs> It was great. I, 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 I have to interject if anybody yeah. has not seen the Beyond the Grave trailer. Mm. Oh, I, yes. I yes. have seen it so many times and I laugh every single time. It's like six minutes long. So it's way too long. Oh, very which adds so. to the humor. Right. And it's so freaking funny. It's on the Onyx Path YouTube. You can find it really easily. Um, but like, if, if you haven't seen it after this panel, do yourself a favor and check it out. Because mm-hmm. it's so silly. Right. And every time I watch it, I laugh. Like it is, it is, it has never not made me laugh. So. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. it's the man getting eaten by the window. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so also, just like I mean, just like like I said, the fact that it's so long and like certain things keep coming back and like the, I think I think the candles always get me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 really good. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, I did for um. Camp Murder Lake, I did the uh, uh, scenario kind of cards. I forget what we called them. Um, but basically, you, you, you pick a, um, a location, a person, and an action, and you, you use those as kind of a way to twist. That's what it was. Yes. Um, they were initially designed for like 
uh, um, Matthew wanted to be kind of a, here's the plot twist, but then actually having physical twist that could be played and adjusted through gameplay. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized, oh, this is also used for like quick scenario creation. Mm-hmm. You make a few draws, kind of roughly put them in order and there, there's your scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for uh, classified, uh, what did I do on classified? You director's chair, maybe? That was, that was it, right, yes, because we did, I, we talked about the um, the genre and, and specifically dialing in the, like the, the 60s aesthetic um, and, and how to, uh, you know, all the doubles and triple twists and all that stuff, and, and also how to handle innuendo respectfully at your table. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, which was something that, I, after I wrote that, I started to realize that a lot of discussion around uh, safety tools does really center around horror gaming specifically, and well, that it should. I'm glad that that's, it mm-hmm. started there. Um, but Matthew is absolutely right that it's just as needed for funny comedic games, not even in the making sure everyone's comfortable sense, although that's a huge part of it, but also what does everyone find funny? Because like if I ran a uh, They Came From game with one group of people, I mean, I might just lean into dick jokes because that's really what that group wants mm. whereas another group might really really much more go for the dry meta humor yeah and that's that's also really useful if you're playing with strangers obviously exactly yeah it's like i i don't like toilet humor personally mm-hmm. it, it, it just grosses me out so if somebody was leaning too hard to that i'd be like oh i'm not having fun this isn't funny yeah to me. you know uh, i once played a shadow run game where it had nothing to do with shadow run uh, where the GM thought it would be hilarious if my character was trapped in a toilet cubicle, uh, evacuating until I could succeed on a some kind of constitution-based role that I wasn't very good at, and he thought it was hilarious, and I was just sort of sat there rolling, rolling. And in the end, I just said, you know what? This isn't for me. This yeah. I'm supposed to be decking into things right now. <laughs> um, this doesn't feel like Shadowrun in the slightest, or right. funny. Uh, but again, that's a, that's a matter of taste or lack thereof. Some people, there may well be a group out there that wants to spend the entire session defecating, if that uh, in character. Uh, and and if that's the case, all power to them. Have fun with your game. I'm not going to join your group. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be in that game. <laughs> like, and I mean, I, I I clearly don't mind. You know, some some crass humor as I yeah, yeah. by the first time that we ran the game from beneath the sea. I think at Virtual Horrorcon the mm. first year, maybe, mm. um, because uh, as as was mentioned the other day in our other panel, uh, Ian was running that game for myself, Wes, Meredith, and Jacob Burgess, and like. It was just it 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 we barely got to the monster because it just turned into a slice of life game of the four of us in a boat traveling for you know yeah. two and a half <laughs> hours because we were all making each other laugh so hard. Yeah, like, we, we had we had the perfect straight man in Jacob for me and Wes to be ridiculous. Um, it was really fun, and we barely actually rolled dice for the most part. We just yeah. improved for two hours, but it was because the game really worked for us and also all of our senses of humor work together right um I th- yeah i think that's one of the the merits of something that's uh, explicitly uh, a comedy game or at least gives you the room to make it such is that you can improvise you can go off piste and you don't have to complete the plot in order for it to be an entertaining few hours Right. Uh, I was running. They came from Camp Murder Lake at the the as the inaugural game at Virtual Horicon this year, and the the group escaped the sanitarium within the first hour. That's right. not what was supposed to happen, but I wasn't going to punish <laughs> them for rolling well and coming up with good ideas. Uh, so it ended up a game where the characters were on a road trip stopped at a dirty dive bar decided that because they'd stolen a james brown impersonator's van they were going to uh, pretend to be a funk punk fusion band because none of them actually liked funk uh, and they just wanted to shout at people so they decided <laughs> they would play uh, music for their lodging they did were like that. Huck, hucking tambourines at people in the audience yeah <laughs> <laughs> shouting give us your money give us your money uh, and <laughs> and they rolled successfully so that the, the the bikers in the bar enjoyed it there was then a melodramatic moment where one of the characters realized the barman was actually his father uh they... i had to leave for the panel so i never got to that part like 
like I like got to the concert part mm. and then I that's 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 why I asked you later what happened because I was like I I didn't know how it ended because I had to go be on my panel. Well, all of this said, you know, we got to about halfway through and there wasn't anything really that horrific going on. So <laughs> in the end I had to reintroduce the the slasher, uh the spirit of funk essentially and uh inhabiting people and making them go turn into sort of zombie james browns and in the end the, the characters fled they ended up at the most popular cottaging site in indiana mm-hmm. and um they decided they would use all their rewrites at that point to have dio ozzy osbourne and a bunch of other musicians show up at that crucial time where they were confronted by the slasher to fight off the funk with the power of punk. And so it ended up with a musical number, Why really. Why did they That's... get Ozzy Osbourne and Theo for punk? Those aren't punk musicians. Because they were very stupid <laughs> characters. <laughs> um, they just liked anything that was shouting into a microphone, I think. Uh, and yeah, yeah, and come the conclusion, only two characters died, which is pretty woeful for a slasher, but yeah. it was still a very entertaining game. Uh, and that's the point they came from isn't always going to be hilarious, isn't always going to be horrific or whatever the genre may be, but right. it should always be entertaining. Yeah, and more than any other game, and perhaps I can only say this with confidence because I know how to run these very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know it comes with, I guess, being the developer. Uh, it is that I have never ran a game of they came from where the players have gone away not feeling entertained, and I can say that with confidence. It may sound arrogant, but I I can say it because if I run this in person, people are always smiling at the end of the game, not because mm. it's finished, but because they had a good time. <laughs> oh, thank God. Um, and people actually get back in touch with me and say we really loved that. And so many games I run, especially horror ones, they're good. People like them, mm-hmm. but I don't. But they're also things you put down afterwards and then get on with your life. Right. They came from leaves you elated. You know, you, you come away with it thinking that was a really fun three hours. And honestly, there are too few games that have that as a principle of design. Right. And uh, in, in my view, and I'm so glad that they came from managers. It. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I, I, I love about it is the fact that, you explicitly have permission to be silly. Yeah. Um, because often, I mean, if you're playing D&D, even playing vampire or whatever, sometimes silly things happen and the table gets mm. silly. And then there's always that moment where you have to be like, okay, guys, all right, come on, let's let's get back to the plot. Like, let's, let's play the game. Um, even though the players are clearly having a better time riffing for a second right. than yeah. they are playing the game. But of course the DM and some of the other players might want to move the, play, the, the game along and it becomes a whole thing. Whereas in this game, it's like, everyone just gets to be silly if they want to. Yeah. If somebody wants to play a straight man, they totally can. And that makes um, it better. Yeah. As, yeah. as per your example uh, with Jacob and co, uh, when you've got a character who is playing it, or a player who is playing the character absolutely straight and everyone else is just fooling around them, that works for the genre because it's yeah. usually that person who is the protagonist who is trying to solve the mystery while everything else is nonsense. Yeah, no, Jacob and Meredith learned about the merits of being a Louisiana swamp person. Um, and Wes <laughs> I thought... and I were Louisiana swamp people. <laughs> well, there you go. The I'm sure there know. are some. Yeah. Uh, but actually, that leads to a question I have since you've run so much of this now, Matthew. Um, I mean, we, we've talked about the fact that there's a very thin line between horror and humor, and a lot of horror game advice is to try to you know, set the mood, make sure you have creepy music on, turn the lights low, try to get people into that mindset. Right. Have you found that by giving explicit permission to be funny that the, the, the horror parts of these games actually stand out better as a result? That's a really good question. Uh, I think it, it does work, not just for horror, uh, it works as a point of contrast mm-hmm. uh, to to whatever you're bouncing off of. And that's the wonderful thing about genre movies. If you've got a genre and then you add comedy to it, in theory, anything can be parodied. Right. And so as soon as players know that their characters can do silly things or they as players can make their characters do silly things, whether it's through use of their quips at inappropriate moments or mm-hmm. cinematics to make the game go sort of gonzo, bananas and so on, uh, it's 
it makes the moments where you actually play to genre feel more, I guess, pertinent. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they stand out more. Mm-hmm. And that isn't by design. You know, that's not, uh, I wasn't thinking, wouldn't it be great to contrast comedy against this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it is a natural effect. Uh, now, you need to be careful, I would suggest, if you are a director or GM uh, who is coming in to run this and let's say your first game is Beyond the Grave or Camp Murder Lake, the tonal whiplash that can occur, especially with horror, if you go from, ha, 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 these people are being stupid and, oh, my God, this person's being eviscerated, can actually be unsettling to the player group, which is, again, why it's worth checking in advance. Where do you want to go with this? Uh, What are your limits and so on? Uh, But when it works, and it works more often than not, I think it emphasizes both ends of that spectrum Mm -hmm. uh, to to good to strong effect i like to think so well that's what i was thinking about because like um even looking at humorous horror films like you guys talked about uh uh, the evil dead as an example Mm. or army darkness Mm -hmm. um i would argue army darkness is more cyclops cave at that point because it's a little more fantastical the evil dead has some genuinely horrific stuff that happens in it yeah Uh, yeah but if you compare it to like say um uh, the scary movie franchise, it, there's almost nothing that's actually scary in any of those movies because it's all just a parody of the tropes. Really. No, I I would say Scream is a better Beyond the Grave, Camp Murder Lake yes. game yeah. than Scary Movie because mm-hmm. there is a, still a lot of humor and there's definitely meta currency in Scream. It's arguably the the horror movie that introduced it in a major way you know yep. mm-hmm. um it's like one of the first horror movies that people saw where the characters knew about horror movies exactly like- right and right the, the self-awareness that's touched on in ag slasher film became fully text mm. as opposed to subtext yeah. i mean mm-hmm. there's yeah. there's an entire section where jamie kennedy is explaining how horror movies work to everybody yep, absolutely. While, yeah. while they're watching i think halloween i think so yeah, yeah. i think, think, think they did actually yes i'm pretty certain they had the rights to halloween um and it wouldn't surprise me if nightmare on elm street gets referenced given that it is a wes craven movie mm-hmm. um but it's a uh scream is a fantastic example of that the evil dead trilogy are uh, and tv series i've not seen it but i'm sure it's good are really great examples of how to balance mm-hmm. horror and comedy but again it's a high watermark uh, uh, for gross-out humour. Um, mm-hmm. You can do it more su- with more subtlety. I think you'd run into more problems as a director trying to run a game that is explicitly based off a more comedy than horror film, like Young Frankenstein, as an example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, right. Because most of us aren't comedy writers. Right. Uh, th- this is where the, I guess... The paradox of they came from comes in. You let players and the director find the humor rather mm-hmm. than writing the humor in. Mm-hmm. You you write your game as horrific, and then you let silly things happen. If I you mean, set up jokes and punchlines, already... it won't necessarily function as well. I mean, after I be on the grave, I did put some silly things in there, but you know that's <laughs> well, sure. because it's funny. But but yeah. it's similar. It's it's a bit like uh, the advice I give to to Pugmire writers, yep. which is like don't 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 put the pug, don't put the punchline on the page. Let the players find that punchline. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, um. So uh, like to Dixie's point, it's like yeah, there's some funny stuff on the page, but that's I always read that more as aspirational. Like, here's some things to kind of get you started, but then let the players riff off those and find their own humor from that point on. Yeah. Mm. No, I was I was very pleased. Like I I have only really written on Can't Murder Lake and Beyond the Grave. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense because that's more my wheelhouse. Uh, but like, I did a, about a third of the antagonists for Beyond the Grave. Yeah, and I had so much fun writing those. Um, just to be like self indulgent for a second here. Oh, there for was it. recently a review someone did of Beyond the Grave, and they were talking about Ooh. all the different antagonists. And I got to feel very special because they called out the fact that they usually hate zombies as antagonists, and they loved the way that I wrote zombies. Oh, excellent. He, because all I did was adapt a rant I used to go on when fast zombies became a thing about how one zombie should never be scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just like adapted that into the actual characters. Where it's, like, it's like one zombie's not scary. Ten zombies, maybe. Hundred zombies. Now yes. we're talking. Yeah. You know? Because zombies aren't scary because they might bite you. Like if you look at Shaun of the Dead, for instance, yep. there's a scene where they're just walking slowly away from a zombie. Mm. Because zomb- like one zombie isn't scary. Right. Um, 
Now, I am totally fine with fast zombies now, but for a while I was on my high horse about Me you know, too. how fast zombies sucked. Um, which <laughs> I no longer think, but it is something that George Romero uh, used to sign on things like fast he, zombies he suck. Yeah. Very, I, I know, think he was doing it ironically by sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, so like I got to feel very special because I've written a few things for it and they got praise and that was cool. Um, well, also, I mean, um, that's just you, with my antagonists. You, you, weren't you the one else did the the devil himself gag? I, I no, I was the only one. I was the one who gave permission to put it in all caps. Oh, okay. Yes, <laughs> yes as, as as the editor, one of the one of the rules in our style guide is that we never use caps for emphasis. Mm-hmm. And I was the one in the Slack who was like, "Can we put the devil himself in caps every single time?" And everybody was like, "Yes." And I'm like, "Yes, it's gonna look great." And it does. It does look great. <laughs> I guess we've only got a couple minutes left, so I will throw it to Matthew if you have any final thoughts on they came from and also want to plug, you know, where people can talk to you about it. Oh, well, let's think. Do I have any final thoughts? I'm sure I can dig something out of the Piece of advice, things on tone. If if you want to listen to a much creepier version of they came from the Redmond role-playing group yeah. with, with Matthew, uh, has a much more serious game of it, which is very cool, too, if you yeah. want to the rules to play not comedy. Yeah, so if you want examples of how to run They Came From, of course, there's lots of people who have ran it now and have put it on their channels. Uh, I have ran every They Came From core for Red Moon role-playing at some point, uh, Beneath the Sea, Beyond the Grave, Classified, and Cyclops' Cave. The Beneath the Sea game, as Dixie pointed out, is something of an anomaly because it's dealing with Beneath the Sea as a serious game. It's a bit Lovecraftian, a mm-hmm. uh, bit cosmic horror-y where the players are essentially the great old ones and the characters that are unknowing vessels. And so some of the quips you get are just gibberish streams with lots of apostrophes and hyphens. <laughs> and um, whenever you use one of these quips, essentially the great old one takes over the body of the character. And once the scene is over, the character can't remember what just happened. So uh, I, that was kind of an experiment for myself to to prove that Beneath the Sea could be run using the same mechanics, but in a deadly serious fashion. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's lots of fun Beneath the Sea games out there as well. Uh, I know Travis Legg ran a very popular one for the Story Path Showcase that's on the Onyx Path YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, as I said, Beyond the Grave, uh, we've got a session on Redmi role playing. Classified in the Cyclops' Cave one are really interesting because I had the same cast for each actual play and they're even playing basically variations on the same character. So essentially they're oh, playing nice. the same actor in each one. And both movies or both games start with pretty much the same opening. And it's, um, yeah, that was a really uh, experimental, but again, fun thing to do. Mm. My, my advice to anyone running is as ever, don't prescribe your humor. Don't expect everyone to be a comedy genius because they're not. Most of us aren't. And don't expect everyone to be able to improvise lightning fast. The whole reason quips come on cards, cinematics come on cards is because it's a lot easier to remember to use something if it's there right in front of you. Whether you've got it electronically on one of your monitors or whether you've got it in front of you as a card, playing it is a really satisfying way of not only feeling accomplished that you did something it will add punctuation to your humor Mm -hmm. uh, especially if it's in an appropriate sentence Uh, if you play it and it is utterly inappropriate people may not laugh unless you slam it down on the table (laughs) at which point it just seems utterly nonsense Um, and the last thing to plug uh, as we will be wrapping up is you can get Beneath the Sea and Beyond the Grave through traditional print venues now, uh, friendly local gaming stores, Indie Press Revolution and Studio 2. Uh, you can also buy them on Drive Through RPG along with Camp Murder Lake and a flurry, a huge r- array of source books now, uh, many of which are micro tasty bits that only cost a couple of dollars but have fantastic material in. Classified and Cyclops Cave are still on backer kits. You can pre-order them in traditional print formats. So please consider doing that, especially, you know, I'm going to 
is big, do a big shout out to Michele's uh, work on Cyclops Cave because he did a wonderful job for his uh, well I think first development gig uh, and oh. yeah what an amazing uh, co-developer he was so do do support our games if you can I would be grateful for any feedback that you have about your experiences playing they came from and did and where can people find you? Yeah, uh, they can't. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, the, you know, just send a post, uh, a letter. Don't put an address on it. It will get to me. So, so uh, you have those business cards that are massive, but there's no contact information. Yeah, I'm anywhere. Like Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, just send it up the chimney. I knew that if I threw this to Matthew with five minutes to go, we'd still somehow go over, and we have now. So, thanks, Matthew. All right, <laughs> you can find me on matthewdawkins.com. My full list of credits and my contact info is there. You can also find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP. You can find me in the Onyx Path Discord as Matthew Dawkins, often hanging around the They Came From channels like a bad smell. Eddie, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Pugsteady. It's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find the website Pugsteady.com. You can also find me on the Onyx Path Discord. Done. <laughs> you can find me in all those places as Dixie Cyanide generally. And if you want to check out the website that we did for They Came From at MC3K, it's theycamefrom.com. Um, and you can find all of our other books at theonyxpath.com. So thank you very much for coming to the panel. And I hope you enjoyed it and play the Came From game. Be silly. Yes. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.